I need for you to know something about me. I'm a Catholic convert, and I'm pro-life. This is my faith, and this is a cause that I feel strongly about. This story today is not about me. It's about a man, a group of men, and women who felt the need to help those in crisis. In 2006, in Norwalk, Iowa, I lived across the road from a newly built Catholic church. Not a new church, because the congregation had been meeting in the town of Cumming about five miles west for over a hundred years. The new church, built in 2006, had been in the planning stages since the 1960s, so not exactly a seismic move. When it was finished and dedicated by the priest and bishop, we began going on Sunday mornings. I've never felt a more welcoming and caring congregation. I was lifted up in a time that was not really very good for me, lifted up by new friends. So I started going to St. John the Apostle on Saturdays and Sundays so I could meet the entire congregation of people who attended Masses. The owner of the Norwalk Hardware was a crusty, abrupt Italian. That's probably redundant. He's also a very committed Catholic with a heart of gold. My cradle Catholic wife, Gail, was shy and self-conscious, and she attended Mass weekly because it was what she had always done. I had not become Catholic when we married in 1973, but our children were raised Catholic with my blessing and support. I was always fascinated by the faith even dating a couple of Catholic girls in high school to the dismay of my hardcore Methodist mother. So Dominic, the hardware hank of our town, asked us to bring up the bread and wine for communion one day at Mass. My wife quickly refused, saying, My husband isn't Catholic. Dominic said, So? At that moment, the thought went through my head that I had waited long enough. I wasn't declaring my faith for anyone else but me. I thought at 57 years old I had the right to do so. I spent six months going through RCIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults. It was a great learning experience taught by a very wonderful lady, and I had already been baptized a Methodist, so on Easter of 2008 I was confirmed as a Catholic. A joyous day. I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and I can't say I'd felt better in my life. But then things really began happening. I felt like I walked out of the sanctuary on Easter and was immediately grabbed by the Knights of Columbus. I became a first-degree knight the following month, and a third-degree knight two months later. On exactly the sixth month after becoming a member of this Catholic men's organization based on charity unity, fraternity, and patriotism, I became a fourth-degree, tuxedo-wearing and sword-wielding man of God. I attended the state convention and was sought out by a former state deputy who was as good a recruiter as I've ever met. He asked me to take my radio skills and apply them to a weekly half-hour radio show on Catholic Radio in Des Moines. We named it Night Life, 
Knight with a K. My days at WHO Radio were numbered by this time, and I could feel something coming on two fronts. In November of 2009, I was called into the general manager's office at Clear Channel and told my position was being eliminated. I received a severance. He helped me load my stuff in my Ford F-150 pickup and leave the building. The next morning, I was at church for the 8 a.m. daily mass. The priest, a very caring man, just a year older than me, knew something was up. Why are you here, Ken, he asked, since he knew I was on the radio every morning. They fired me yesterday was my response. We talked a bit, and I was given support from all who heard. Many of them had stories of losing their jobs, some a couple of years earlier. So I went home and began to focus myself on the reality that I was unemployed, but not unknown, and with this church, not unloved. I felt a little vacant, but okay. The next day, I got a call from the executive director of the Iowa Agribusiness Association, who I'd worked with for a couple of years when he had been a Bush appointee at USDA, serving as the Iowa Director of Rural Development. He was trying to get ready for a convention and trade show the coming February and needed help, just about three months away. I had always admired Mark Reisinger, and I knew AAI pretty much from the inside out since my time with the fertilizer ag chem industry in Washington and in Iowa had made it all come together. I accepted and started the next day. Dead of winter in Iowa, but I swear I could hear the birds singing. Back to the Knights of Columbus radio show. I had a day job that was far less demanding now than farm radio. I had the fire inside me with my renewed faith, so I threw myself into the task of producing a weekly half hour of Catholic radio and playing on KWKY. I also found three other jobs that paid money, so no one loss of an employer could derail my life. Now, I was very busy, but I loved doing stories about people and events that were uplifting. I interviewed Rachel Owens, the director of the Informed Choices Clinic in Iowa City. It was a pro-life clinic that was attempting to be a counter to Planned Parenthood. Both organizations promised care for women who had an unplanned pregnancy. The difference was that Planned Parenthood would conduct abortions and the Informed Choices Clinic tried to help women make other choices than killing their child. The story ran on Saturday morning, as I recall, and I was already working on the next week's show. A few days later, I received a phone call from the man who's my guest today, Steve Cashman. Steve, thank you for talking to me. Let's start there. Thanks, Ken, and uh, thanks for your friendship. What happened was is uh, I was traveling on the way over to do some pheasant hunting just um, west of Iowa City, and I had the nightlife program on that you were broadcasting. And during that program, you were interviewing Bob Sinclair, who uh, was a grand knight and had been involved in raising money for an ultrasound machine for Rachel Owen in her clinic in Iowa City. And prior to that point, I'd been praying, uh, asking the Lord what he wanted me to do, and he'd been telling me that he had something significant for me, but 
I had to be patient. Well, my patience um, was satisfied as a result of the fact that when I heard what the Knights had been doing over there in Iowa City, the Lord basically said to me, that's what I want you to do in Des Moines. Well, Bob Sinclair is a John Deere dealer, and uh, he has connections to Des Moines as well, but he lives over in eastern Iowa. So I think that's remarkable there because I've known him for several years. And uh, Rachel was uh, and remains a charismatic lady and is doing great work. Where were you in life when you decided to do that? I know you're retired at this point, but... What were your circumstances that gave you the ability to listen to the call to do this work? Well, I had lost my wife in 2006 to breast cancer, and so um, I was again single, and I was obviously looking at what I was going to do the rest of my life. I was working at the time and uh, had a relatively successful career and design, build, construction, and equipment sales. However, um, I was, you know, thinking about the next phase. And in doing so, of course, I asked the Lord what he wanted me to do. That process took about three years. One of the things that he had mentioned to me in these conversations is that he had said to me, you know, this particular job I'm going to give you would go much better if you didn't have a job. So you should think about quitting your job. It it took me a while uh, to to go through that particular uh, request because I really couldn't understand what he was talking about. But I actually did quit my job on April Fool's Day, that 2010. So it was six months later that or so that I finally uh, heard your <clears throat> nightlife presentation that the opportunity was then presented to me. So all these things take time and patience. But in your desire to get this ultrasound machine, what were you going to do with it? Well, I had no idea, to be honest with you, Ken. All I knew uh, was that the Lord wanted me to get involved in providing ultrasound machines to the pregnancy clinics here in Des Moines. So since I knew nothing about these clinics, um, I was pro-life, but to be honest with you, I wasn't involved directly in the pro-life movement. I had to do some research. So I called uh, all the pregnancy clinics in Des Moines uh, the following Monday, and I found out in talking to all of them except for one that they were not interested in an ultrasound machine. They were a consultative-type clinic, and bringing in an ultrasound machine would move them into a medical category, which changed everything. So I, um, on the last phone call, called Catholic Charities downtown Des Moines. Wendy Solowitz, who I know from St. Francis of Assisi Church, answered the phone. I told her what the Lord had called me to do, and she asked me what I knew about all of this, and I said nothing. I just knew I had to do it. And she asked me to come down there the following Friday where she would have some pro-life ladies that had been talking about uh, an opportunity and that they would discuss that with me and inform me 
as to what the opportunity was at that time? I'd say it's 2010. I think it was December of 2010. And at that time, there was concern among many people that there were young women who were getting abortions by simply just going in and uh, Planned Parenthood or whoever it might be would legally do that abortion. And there were a lot of church people who were standing out in the yards of Planned Parenthood or trying to, to ask them if they would choose something else. And the clinic that went in in Iowa City uh, had shown that these young women would come there and if they could uh, potentially let them transfer their thinking from this is a fetus to this is a baby, that they would be more likely to find another choice other than abortion. And this ultrasound and the sonogram that would show that baby in the mother's womb appears to be a very effective means of doing that. That's exactly right. I, I came to know that after I started to do my research. <clears throat> and in fact, I was told on the initial meeting is that the statistics showed that if a woman saw her baby uh, in the ultrasound, that uh, the percentage of increase to keep the baby rose to 80%. So it was very significant as far as keeping babies. And as I recall at the time, the ultrasound unit altogether was quite expensive. Twenty-five to $40,000 range, depending upon what features you, uh, you needed or wanted in that ultrasound. And then you also needed a trained technician to run it. Right. And I'm, not only that, but you also, you changed basically the, the clinic service um, code from a consultative to a medical clinic, which means you also needed a doctor to sign off and to sponsor that particular clinic. Right. So all those things together made you realize that more had to be done than just getting an ultrasound. Where did you go from there? Well, during the meeting, of course, the ladies explained to me what this would take. And so I said, well, what's that going to cost? And they said, well, we don't know, but probably anywhere from a quarter of a million on up. You know, I said, well, uh, that, that's a lot of money, but um, the Lord has called me to do this, so where do we start? And where did you start? Where I started is, or I asked them to do is if they could put together a group of very zealous pro-lifers that we could talk about this clinic and organize ourselves. And in the meantime, I would go over to Iowa City and visit with Rachel Owens to uh, determine what this looked like and ask for their assistance. So that's what I did. The following Monday, I drove over to Iowa City. I had a wonderful day with Rachel. She took me through the entire facility, talked about how they got organized and how they were organized. Uh, what their budget was, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of that meeting, I asked her if she would be willing to participate in helping us start a clinic of that sort in Des Moines, and she immediately acquiesced and said, I'd love to help. 
Now, there's another side to this. There's a legal aspect, isn't there, that you had to be careful of the liability. How did you work with that? We had to learn that as we go, but we had to be very careful about, you know, what we said uh, to the woman, to the women after we found out that they were pregnant and how we, what information we shared with them. And, of course, the information that we had for them had to be accurate so we did involve um, a medical doctor, Dr. Greg McKernan, who set up office two doors down as a result of our clinic being there. So we had somebody very readily available that would help us as we went through, you know, the medical processes and the discussions that we had with these women to make sure that we were providing them the very best uh, medical advice. Steve, you've still got no clinic, no ultrasound. You've got knowledge. What did you do then? I met uh, Jenny Condon. She she came onto the uh, scene. She was looking for an opportunity. She was very uh, pro-life and had been working in the pro-life area. So she agreed uh, to become the clinic director. At that point, I asked her to get together, uh, again, some people that we could um, meet and talk about this clinic. So she put together a meeting around the 16th of January, and we had probably 25 or 30 uh, individuals in this meeting. I had asked um, Rachel Owens to come over and make a presentation, and she brought with her Bob Sinclair, and Bob Sinclair brought with him his brother Jim Sinclair. Jim lives in Des Moines, and I knew Jim because he was a member of our Knights of Columbus. So as we were assembling in the room, Bob came in, who I didn't know, and Jim walked in after him. Jim sat down in the seat next to me. We started the meeting. Uh, Bob Sinclair did a fantastic job presenting to the group what this clinic looked like, what it would take to organize the clinic. And uh, at the end of his discussion, uh, I had met Bob on the way in. At the end of the discussion, he looked over at me and he said, Steve, I think you uh, should be the fundraiser and the organizer of this clinic. And all we need right now is a location. So I looked over at Jim Sinclair, who I knew owned quite a bit of real estate in town. And I looked at Jimmy and I said, Jim, I said, do you think that you could make that happen? And he thought about it a second, looked over at me, he says, I think I got just the spot. And I looked back at him, I said, is it free? Well, that put a little scare in him, but after he composed himself, he said, it could be. So at that point, we had a an opportunity, we had a location. Now we just needed to organize and uh, get it built. So let me clarify that just a little bit. Jim Sinclair and Bob Sinclair Brothers, as Jim told it to me, Bob called him and told him to come over to this meeting, and he wanted Jim to come. Jim is a lawyer who owns rental properties, but he had a place in Des Moines that was available at the time. He's sitting beside you, and he says, I think we can make this work. And there within that one meeting, it all happened, didn't it? It did. Thanks to the Holy Spirit. 
Well, I know there was a lot of work after that because I walked through and saw that they were doing drywall and a lot of conversion to turn this into what looked like a medical clinic. And it had a conference room in it. It also had uh, rooms where that they could counsel with people. Uh, they had the exam room that was going to have the ultrasound in it. And all of us joked that we had the white badge of courage because we all had gotten dust on us from brushing up against that wall as we went through there. But there it was coming together over a couple of month period. And I just was amazed at the number of people who were physically supporting it. And more than that, the number of people who were financially saying, what do you need to make this happen? I'm sure you felt that more than I did. Absolutely. When uh, when we were we finally obviously uh, was set with the task of um, raising the money to build the facility, of course uh, I prayed about that and I asked the Lord what He wanted me to do, and He said basically to me, Steve, all I want you to do is take the first step every day. What He meant by that is that you make the first phone call, you talk to whatever individual. Whatever comes in your mind, you take that first step. I'll take care of the rest until the next day. So, obviously, I started phoning people that I knew. I went to the next Knights of Columbus meeting, which was the following Tuesday after we met on that 16th of January. And I announced to the Knights that we were going to build this clinic and I needed their support. And they gave me overwhelming response of we'll do whatever we can. And of course, with that kind of level of support, not only from a fundraising opportunity, but just the talent that was in that Knights of Columbus group, as far as construction services, electrical, drywall, furniture, opportunities just came out of the woodwork. And this thing came together so, so quick it would make your head spin. No doubt about that. I was following it on a regular basis, and they they finished it. <laughs> they had a dedication for it, and it was called Intervision. And the one in Iowa City was called Informed Choices. That's correct. The board of directors of the Iowa City Clinic was involved in the dedication of the clinic in Des Moines. And I recall that um, Rachel Owen was there and... Uh, uh, several people from Iowa City, and they asked the president of that uh, board of directors in Iowa City if he would give a prayer. Now, up to this point, I had assumed that everybody who was a part of this was a Catholic, and this man gave the most delightful Baptist prayer you have ever heard, and growing up as a Protestant, I know the difference in prayers from different denominations. And so when it was finished, I went over to him and I said, you know, you pray like a Baptist. He said, oh, I grew up Baptist. He said, I now am a minister of a non-denominational church in Iowa City. And at that point, I started talking with other people who were in pro-life groups. And they gave a great deal of uh, credit to Catholics in the numbers. But Catholics were not the only ones who were very pro-life. And we remain that way, I'm pleased to say, at this point. But definitely the beginnings of this 
came out of the uh, Catholic community in Des Moines to get that to get that going. And Jenny Condon's husband is a deacon in the Catholic Church. They did a great job of pulling it together. And then the question was, could they get these young women to come to the clinic? I'm sure you followed that closely. Right. That's exactly what happened. Uh, informed choices. Um, we actually formed our uh, 5013C under their 5013C um, tax code number. So we didn't have to go through the motions of getting all that together because things were moving so quickly that this seemed the most expedient way to get things done, and it was. Not only that, but they provided us with all their plans and procedures. They trained Jenny. They trained our nurses and our volunteer nurses, our front office staff. We did have a board, but we didn't have any board representation on their board. Well, you eventually separated from them, did you not, and kept your own intact? We did. It, it became obvious uh, at the speed that we were growing and what have you and the kind of decisions that had to be made um, on a moment-to-moment -moment basis that we really couldn't be managed from Iowa City. So we agreed to split up approximately a year later in the meantime, we had filed for our 501-3C and after an arduous time with our government uh, trying to get that, and that's a whole other subject, we were able to get that in December of uh, that 2011 it would be. And then at that point, we were ready to go. So we had a board in place and we had a director in place. We had a nurse practitioner and an ultrasound uh, trained uh, nurse in place, and we were seeing clients. I think our first day of opening was like June 6, 2011. And uh, I think we saw five or six clients that month, that first month of June. Well, I recall reporting on this and realizing that men needed to be at arm distance from this, that it seemed like the the best way they could work it was that the ladies who were there, Jenny and her staff, and the girls who were coming in were uh, doing a good job of being able to find common ground and move toward making a decision that did not include abortion. And I would talk to Jenny about this, and the stories that she told me that I related on the radio show were inspiring, to say the least. It wasn't 100% of success, uh, and sometimes other family members were very demanding of these young women that they must get an abortion, which I found to be hard to understand. And there were some of these girls who said, I cannot raise a baby, and they worked with them to adopt those babies to loving families, and in some cases very much open adoptions, of which we got to see at some of the future uh, events that they had. Everything just seemed to develop, not as fast maybe as they thought. Every day, Steve, just seemed like it was the beginning of that opening of the flower for the next day and the next day, and things continued to progress very well. 
That's that's exactly the way it happened. Um, one of the things that really motivated us was it was the challenge basically by Planned Parenthood um, over the media uh, about you know the fact that uh, they provided all of these services for women, including abortion, of course, and that what were the rest of the Christian groups doing and the Catholics doing to provide those kind of services. So when we put together our clinic, we did our best to answer that particular challenge and offer many, many other services to these women that would surround them with support and love that, quite frankly, Planned Parenthood never really ever even entertained. So we were able to give these gals much more support, obviously, to help them carry that baby, including financial support, food, housing, automobile uh, repairs that we would do for individuals based upon their need that was funded through the clinic with angels that would support uh, those gals behind the scenes and anonymously. I was amazed when the director of the clinic, Jenny Condon, would explain to me that it wasn't just the girl saying, all right, I'm going to have this child. It was, I'm going to have this child, but I don't know what I'm going to do because I have no source of income. Or if I have this child, my family will not let me uh, come back into their bosom. And these Knights of Columbus groups and others went to incredible lengths and some of them told me that they were in agreement that they would support that woman and child for five years. And in some cases, I heard stories that they were going hundreds of miles to move her to a location where that she could be self-sufficient. They were bringing in furniture and, as you said, cars and doing whatever they could to give the child a chance to have a normal life and the mother a chance to renew herself and pick a new direction for both of them. Yes, that's exactly what happened. Steve Cashman, this paralleled a uh, growing number of people speaking out against abortion, a strong movement of people who were saying that they would like to perhaps even see Roe v. Wade overturned by the Supreme Court. And that 10-year period that we're talking about from then until now has shown that movement grow even more. And a number of leaders in Iowa were very much in your camp. Our former governor, our current governor, Kim Reynolds came out and toured the building one day, and I happened to be there. And I have a little levity with this one. Lieutenant Governor Reynolds was talking to Jenny with me present, and I was standing there, and she, Jenny said, well, how are you doing? And the lieutenant governor said, well, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm going to, uh, to classes quite often. And Jenny said, oh, so you're, you're going to school. And I turned to the lieutenant governor, and I said, are you working on an MBA? And she said, oh, no, not that. And before I could get my mouth shut, I said, well, is it a GED? (laughs) 
and she hit me. Just <laughs> hit me. And she had a security guy there with her, and I turned to him, and I said, did you see that? And he said, I didn't see a thing. So <laughs> a moment there, but now she's our governor. She's very strong in this regard. I know we had several times that we would have a uh, a parallel to the March for Life, and uh, our Bishop Pates would lead us to the Capitol, and uh, we would have a session at the Capitol, and I was very impressed with the number of people who came out for those and who, who stood up for life. And now, Steve, I don't know if you want to talk politics or not, but we're here in a year that uh, Supreme Court decisions could be most interesting on what they say about uh, uh, the movement to reduce or eliminate abortions in the United States. Well, absolutely. What you kind of iterated is that there's been a lot of um, state laws that have been changed restricting abortion in states, including or trying to do this, including our state in Iowa. I have obviously prayed about this, done quite a bit of praying for these this new legislation and what's going to happen or hopefully happen at the Supreme Court level. So basically, that's my uh, stage at this point in my life is to pray that uh, these people will be open to the Lord, open to life, and that we can once and for all strike down Roe and get on with bringing this country back to a country that supports life and also gives reverence to our Lord and Savior. I'd take this one step further because I'm sure there are people who are on both sides of that that may be hearing hearing this. The thing that I thought the clinics did are doing now because they have grown considerably, they are counseling with women and giving them some way to understand their situation of being pregnant and then trying to help them figure out how that they can continue their life or close to their lifestyle that they have and be able to have a child. And uh, it is a tremendous disruptor in a woman's life to have an unplanned pregnancy. But at the same time, if she's going to be able to move ahead, she's got to have a plan and she's got to have support. And the support doesn't come from family. It's got to come from somebody else. And I thought those clinics have done a, a good job of starting the process of finding support for these women. I think uh, at the time that we started Intervisions, I think there was coming up to about 250 of these medical ultrasound-capable clinics in the United States of America. We were the second one in the state of Iowa. But if I um, look at the statistics, I think there's well over 750, almost 800 of these clinics. And I think there's five or six of them in the state of Iowa. Uh, you know, the prevalency of this support for crisis pregnancy women has just um, exploded. And there has been a lot of people on the other side of this abortion issue that have come to see what kind of uh, support and grace that we are providing with these 
struggling women in crisis. And I think that's gone a long way to change the hearts of people. I think you're right. And I think there's more people that have have dismissed it in the past of it's somebody else's problem uh, to now saying, you know, this is society's problem and how can we help? And I think that uh, it makes us it makes us better people if we can reach out and help people. But it's always got to have a, a starting point. And one of the major reasons I wanted to hear from you is that you were by God's will, the starting point to what took place in Des Moines and to be able to get other people involved and get them growing. And the contribution in the the amount of money, the amount of hours of support, uh, the amount of prayers has been huge in this last 10 years. Yes, in fact, you know, if you look at Intervisions and what's happened to uh, their ministry over the last 10 years, um, as you know, they added a second clinic, or we added a second clinic in um, South Des Moines, just up the road from the Planned Parenthood, the only one that does abortions in the metropolitan area. And that clinic is um, flourishing. Last night I saw um, Brian Gonzalez, who is the development director for Intervisions at another uh, Gala, and he informed me that they had saved a little over 1,300 babies since the opening almost 11 years ago. The ministry was required, is fulfilling its job, and people in this community are just ecstatic over the opportunity that we can give people that are less fortunate than us, and especially these women, and not only the women, but the the fathers of these babies and the families of these babies. So it continues to flourish. We are in hopes that this particular model uh, may not be required going forward, but in some way it's going to continue to provide these kinds of support for these women who are in crisis. So uh, we're just I guess moving along uh, with the Lord's graces and doing the job that he's asked us to do. Steve Cashman, thank you very much for all you've done and for talking with me. Uh, God be with you. We'll keep in touch. Thank you, Ken. To everyone who listened, I hope you feel what I felt when I was part of this effort to provide support for women in crisis and children at risk. I was totally outside my comfort zone in my time as the producer of a weekly radio show for the Knights of Columbus. I was glad to serve, and I received far more than I gave. Many people who were major contributors in both time and talents were not mentioned in this program, but your work was greatly appreciated. The politics of abortion remain a major dividing force in our society. I am old, but I see it as a challenge that legislation cannot solve. Only the love and caring of the human community can make a difference in the outcome of unplanned pregnancies. Steve Cashman and many other men and women chose to do good for people they did not know, but were in need of their care and God's grace. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace.